You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's going on, everybody? Jared Sander here for another episode of the Justice Set Conversation. It's episode 68 with the great Dane Brugler. Uh, Dane, as I'm sure you're familiar, if you're an NFL fan, one of the foremost authorities on the NFL draft. He's got a really unique story, how he got to where he is without any playing background of note uh, to become one of the most respected authorities uh, in player analysis. Uh, It's really, really impressive. I'm excited uh, for you to get to hear Dane share his story. Uh, as always, would really appreciate if you would subscribe to the channel. Just share this link. Uh, you know, I know it might not seem like much, but uh, just clicking the subscribe button or passing off this interview to a few friends who you think might be interested really does go a long way in supporting the project, and uh, I really would appreciate it. Uh, without further ado, though, let's get to episode 68 of the Justice Set Conversation with Dane Brugler. All right, Dane, the first question I like to ask people, what do you recall or what stands out about your childhood? Wow. Um, well, uh, I'm the oldest of eight. So, uh, a lot of siblings that that's what I recalled most. I mean, that I grew up in a big family. Um, you know, my, my parents are, you know, hardworking Catholics who wanted to have a big family and I was the oldest. So, uh, there it was me and then, uh, what four sisters, and then until my brother. So I grew up with uh, a lot of sisters and it was, you know, it it was something that was enjoyable for, uh, you know, to always have someone around to play with and things like that. But, you know, it's also when you're a a 10 year old boy, having a lot of sisters is not exactly uh, something that you're excited about. So uh, I I think that that's probably what stands out the most is just having a, always a big family, which has its pros and cons. Uh, I think I appreciate it a lot more now. Um, you know, we get all together for, you know, Christmas or holidays or, uh, you know, whatever, or vacation, things like that. It's a lot of fun because there's a lot of people and, uh, you know, it's uh, definitely appreciate it more uh, now, uh, more so than, uh, you know, uh, 20, 25 years ago. But uh, nonetheless, my, my family growing up in a big house like that uh, definitely was what I would, my, would be my first thought. Okay, so a few questions on that. Do you remember any games that like you would play with your siblings? Like you guys are just kind of hanging around. Hey, let's play this game, or like wh- what were like the the sibling activities? A lot of outside stuff. I mean, we we always played outside. So whether it's basketball or kickball or whatever. I mean, we we always did that. Swimming in the summer. Um, and a lot of that, a lot of board games, a lot of competitive stuff. Um, so yeah, we were, we were always playing something. Um, and so if, uh, I I mean, I think my sister will still remind me to this day, the day she beat me at, uh, you know, 21 or two bounce or one of those, one of those games. And it's something that, you know, I I wouldn't be surprised if you put it on a resume. Uh, okay. So Christmas now with like the siblings and nieces and nephews and you got, you know, your own family. I mean, is that like the most expensive time of the year for you? Like that's, that's always been my fear. I think like growing up with brothers and sisters, like I I had two older brothers, but they were 10 and 12 years older. So I didn't, I think like grow up with them in the same way that you might with a brother who, or a sister who's like two, three years, you know, within your age. 
But like my fear is that, okay, now like brother Steve and sister Bonnie each have like five of their own kids. And then the other siblings have like two or three, like, I mean, how do you, do you have to get like a present for every niece and nephew and every brother and sister? Well, what we do is we do a uh, kind of a uh, gift exchange where we just, we each pick a, a name out of a hat. And so uh, we're only getting one gift for all the siblings and uh, you know, it works out well. And, uh, I only have one, uh, cause I have two kids myself. And then, uh, like I said, I'm the oldest. So I have a lot of younger siblings. My youngest sibling is a sophomore in high school. So there's, you know, a pretty wide gap there. So no kids um, for, for that sibling yet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hopefully it's like 10 more years for her, but, uh, I only have one niece, uh, my, the, the next, uh, uh, oldest in my family. Uh, she, she has a daughter and it's, so I don't have to worry about that quite yet, but I tell you, the, I think that maybe the coolest part about it now is we're all in different spots. Like I'm, you know, I was in Texas, now I'm back in Ohio, where um, you know my, my parents are and, and where we grew up. Uh, but my, the next sister, Kelsey, she she works for uh, Disney in Orlando um, and is moving up through the company there. The next sister, Erin, is a uh, river guide at the grand canyon uh, just this which you know a really cool uh, off the uh, off the wall type of job that she really loves uh, the next one claire used to be a plant manager at ben and jerry's now she uh is a manager at, at kroger and you know and then after that meredith she's a she's a chef and next one seth who just graduated from ohio state now he works for gm and then uh haley is at Cleveland stage is a sophomore and then, and then faith who's a sophomore uh, in high school. So there's just so many different things that I mean, my, my parents, I don't know how their heads don't explode trying to keep up with everything. Uh, you know, everything going on in each one of our lives, but it's, uh, it's definitely cool to see that just the different uh, tracks each one of us has taken uh, throughout our lives. And then that that's only going to continue. So last thing on that, I, you know, as I mentioned, I had two older brothers and I'm married, no kids yet. Uh, you know, hopefully, you know, God willing in the future, mm -hmm. but like my wife's an only child and she, because of that, doesn't want only one kid, you know, again, right. if, if we're fortunate enough to have kids, like she doesn't want our firstborn to be our, you know, to be an only child. And then I, like, I don't mind the big age gap. I don't know that like I necessarily the 10 and 12 years, but like, I, I know that like I benefited so much from having brothers who were you know, older enough to like, they really could guide me. Like when you're a two years older, you know, there are things you can help with, but like from the start, like they were helping me, giving me advice, whether I listened or not. Uh, so like, I, I guess we're all influenced by maybe our own upbringing. You mentioned, you know, I, I know you have two little ones. Uh, what, like, did you, I, I don't know. Was there ever a thought like, Hey, like I loved having, you know, as many siblings as I did, like I'd like to have that, or did that push you like in a different direction? Like I absolutely don't want to have eight kids. Like did that influence your thought at all? And I also know in asking this, it's not easy to have eight kids. Like that's a, that's yeah. not like saying you just like randomly decide, but like, I didn't know like how that maybe influenced your idea of like building a family. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it definitely influenced, um, you know, our decision to not have uh, that many kids because it's, it's just it's hard because you have uh, obviously financially it's tough um and then you know there's just only so many hours in a day and you know it's 
you have career aspirations, you have, uh, you know, you have to have uh, time for, you know, your marriage, you have to have time for yourself and to try and fit in eight kids like that. It's just, it's tough. Now, my parents, that's what they chose to do. And that's, that's something that they, I don't think they have any regrets about that. Um, for me and my wife, that's just, yeah, not, not for us, but um, you know, I just think just the, the sense of family um, that my parents instilled in all of us is definitely something that, um, you know, I, I bring to my family now that, that I'm a dad and I have a, a five and a three-year-old and, um, you know, we, we talked about maybe a third and, uh, but it won't be uh, any more than that. I just, uh, it, it's, I don't know how uh, just having eight kids in this day and age just seems like a, a venture. I'm not ready to, uh, to even try or attempt. <laughs> I would, uh, I would find that those parents would be quite brave. I'm sure your, uh, your parents certainly are. <laughs> Uh, Brave or crazy, I'm not sure which one. <laughs> All right, so when did football come into the picture for you, and what what do you remember about your introduction to football? Uh, well, I was a big baseball guy. That was my first love. Um, you know, growing up in Northeast Ohio, uh, just when the Indians were getting good in the early '90s, um, I, that that was my first introduction to sports, and that was right around the same time with the Browns. Uh, they got booted from uh, Cleveland, went to Baltimore, became the Ravens. And then um, I was always a, always a big college football fan, uh, you know, growing up in Ohio and you know, watching Ohio State beat Arizona State in the Rose Bowl in 97, things like that um, as a young kid. But then when, when the Browns came back in 99, that's what really piqued my interest, uh, specifically to the draft, um, you know, just trying to uh, you, you, you know, you have the situation where, okay, well, how do you, how do you decide who's better Tim couch or Ricky Williams or Donovan McNabb or all these different players, what makes a good college player, a great NFL player or, or vice versa. And it's just, it, it's just a really interesting dynamic that really triggered something in my mind. Um, and ever since then, ever since 99, when I was what, 12 years old, um, I, I've just been enamored with uh, NFL scouting, the evaluation process, and everything that's involved with it. And so ever since then, I've, uh, I have knew that was what I wanted to do with my life. I knew I wanted to be in sports somehow, some way. There, there was just nothing else in my life I wanted to do. And whether it was baseball or football, um, and then as soon as I started finding this love for the draft, and um, I, I knew that's where I wanted to take my career. Okay, so the first time you wrote a draft guide, was you, when you were 18, did I, am I correct in yep. that? Okay. Yeah, my, my, my dorm room, my freshman year at Mount Union College. Okay, and I know that your time at Mount Union, we'll, we'll get into that. I know that was obviously really influential, and, and there was a, an individual who certainly was influential in that regard. But what do you remember about that first draft guide and how you went about it? And uh, I don't know, when you think back to that, like what are the, whether you laugh about certain things or you're like, man, like I was spot on with this or – I don't know. Like, what are the things you think about? Well, uh, I I liked uh, Aaron Rodgers over Alex Smith uh, in that draft, <laughs> so I, I'll, I'll cling to that. Um, you know, I, I remember, yeah, being in my dorm room and just, uh, I, I don't know. Like, I, I had no idea what I was doing, um, but I knew that I just loved it. And, you know, I, it, it just, at that point in time, I'm only watching games on TV. And in, this is what, 2004, 2005, around then, you know, there's only so many games on TV and it's not like the options that we have now and, you know, with uh, all the streaming options and 
uh, you know, things you can find on online. It's so you're just whatever you have access to is what you're watching. And so obviously that shaped, uh, you know, how I, I was putting things together. And um, my, my, my biggest thing when doing a draft guide or, um, you know, putting together something like that, writing an article is I'm, I want to write something that me as a draft fan that I, w- I would love to read. And so that's, that's my goal is I want to write something that as a, as a draft fan that I would really want to get my hands on and digest and, and fully understand. And so that's, you know, that's what I do with my draft guides every year since then is just try to make it, take a one step, make one step better each year to, uh, you know, really encapsulate what I want to know about each player and just the whole point I'm trying to get across. All right. So Mount Union, Dane, mm-hmm. uh, you go there. I mean, they. I don't know whether people realize this or not. Football fans probably certainly do, but uh, maybe the, the casual athletic fan doesn't realize that while Mount Union uh, might not be competing for you know national titles at the you know the top level, I mean, they are a powerhouse of their own. What was the football program like when you were there? Were they? I know that Pierre Garcon was there, mm-hmm. uh, who obviously went on to have a really nice NFL career. But was Mount Union a powerhouse during your time there? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, they were a powerhouse uh, since the early 90s. Um, you know, I, they, they had more national titles than games lost for like in a 30 year span, which just tells you something about just the program and Larry Karras, who uh, was the head coach and then the AD. Um, uh, and it's just a, 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 a really, really interesting dynamic because at the division three level, you don't have athletic scholarships. And so, Obviously, there, there's ways around that, but uh, to build something at the Division three level like that is just is so impressive. Um, obviously, Ohio is uh, a football hotbed um, of, of talent. I mean, high school football in Ohio, um, you know, it's, it's probably not quite on the same level as Texas, but it's close. Um, and it's right up there with Georgia and, um, you know, a lot of these other states that are producing high-end talent going to uh, the college level. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of a lot of players that I'm sure, you know, you could go Division II or maybe even FCS school and, you know, play at a higher level. Or you can come to Division III, and in your four years, you're almost guaranteed to win at least one national title uh, for Mount Union. So, and I was I was blessed to – now, I didn't, I didn't play for Mount Union, but I worked for the football team, and so – I was around the program every day seeing, uh, you know, just how impressive an operation it was. And uh, I was lucky, uh, like you mentioned, Pierre Garcon, he and I were seniors together. So we had NFL scouts coming through Alliance every single week, uh, whether it was for practice or for a game. And, um, you know, it was an outstanding opportunity for me to uh, get to know uh, different scouts, to network, to learn. And that's why I went to Mount Union is because, you know, I, I knew I wanted to be part of uh, working sports and be part of the evaluation process. But I mean, how do you do that? What do you do? And so my the only thing I can come up with was I'm just going to put myself in as many situations to learn and grow and get better. And, uh, it, you know, if if it works out great, if it doesn't, you know, I can say I, I did my best. And so going to Mount Union certainly helped because that was that's how I was able to get in touch and start this network of, uh, of scouts and guys, buddies in the, in the league. And, um, and not only just the networking part, but what they taught me and becoming a better evaluator and understanding 
when I'm watching film, what I'm looking at and what I'm looking for and the, the important traits at each position and things like that. So definitely an invaluable experience. Who are some of the scouts that when you look back to those days were incredibly influential? Um, you know, a lot of them, you know, uh, Kreider with the Steelers, he's been a, he was a guy that I met the, in Alliance in the press box, um, just kind of, you know, uh, talking ball at first. Um, uh, Seal Bracado has been a guy who unfortunately has passed away, but he was the, he, one of the legends of scouting, uh, actually an Arlington native. Um, and he, he's, he's a legend, um, with the Oilers for a long time and the Titans. Um, and he, he was someone who, as he was getting older and older, uh, you know, he, he had me, uh, take him to pro days, um, and, uh, you know, really help him along those lines. And that was something that was being able to shadow him, uh, was just an invaluable experience that I, I can't even ex- put in the words that what I, what, what that meant for me in my career and how I was able to grow from that, those experiences. And so, um, you know, it's, it, you know, it's an informal education, but one that I would not be here today without that. All right, Dane. So another person I know is influential and, and apologize if I'm not pronouncing his name properly, but, uh, the SID of the football program, Michael, is it Dame Mateus, Mateus, Dame Mateus. Okay. So, the sports information director for people who might not be as familiar, this is the person or, or you know, usually it, it can be a group. Uh, they are the, you know, the media relations types, the, you know, they're in the communication, different titles, different places. But in college, for whatever reason, they're all called sports information directors. And they're mm-hmm. the liaison between that program or the department and the media. And they do some other things, you know, that that's probably a, just a generalization. Uh, but for someone who has maybe followed your path, and I guess you have uh, taken a media angle to it, but the the basis of what you are, who you are, is you're a scout. How and and why was he so influential? Well, and, and so for me, I I knew I wanted to scout and evaluate, but I was also realistic, and I knew I couldn't put you know all my eggs in that basket and to say, well, it's, it's this or nothing. So I, my goal was to get involved with sports communication and then on the side, keep working on my scouting and keep trying to make a career out of it. And so uh, working for uh, DiMatteis was perfect because I was close to the football program. I was working uh, with the SID department. So, you know, I'm, you know, writing post-game stories and uh, doing all this stuff while I'm still working with the football team and dealing with scouts and, and the team and things like that. So uh, it was an easy crossover to make and just everything he taught me from um, specific about the job to, you know, life in general was something that uh, was a, you know, a huge role model um, for my life and some, someone that uh, was very influential. And that, that helped me because uh, my first job after I left Mount Union was I was the PR guy for uh, the Frisco Rough Riders, uh, you know, the double A team of the Rangers in Frisco. And that was, that was the, the, the perfect first job. And, uh, you know, everything that I learned from, from Mount Union, from Dean Mateus, that, that's what I took to, to Frisco. And uh, it, it's something that uh, it was able to shape who I was. And then I've taken a lot of those things over to scouting. And so definitely uh, something that, I, I probably learned more out of the classroom than in the classroom from my time at Mount. Dean Mateos is a big part of that. 
All right. Last two questions involving Mount Union. They're both uh, regarding Pierre Garçon. When you were watching him, did you did you know, like from your scouting eye and brain, like this is a guy who is going to succeed in the NFL? And then I'm also just kind of curious what your relationship was with him. I know you're same senior class, but uh, did you and, and do you still have a, any kind of a relationship? I mean, that's the hardest part about small school scouting is you're watching this guy who's clearly talented and he's burning these D3 corners. But, you know, all the competition that he's facing are guys that are, you know, going to be accountants or dentists in a few months. You know, like they're not NFL level guys or even, you know, guys that will sniff the NFL. So it's tough to really gauge what you're looking at. You know he's talented, but just how talented is he? Is he still going to be this productive if he were playing at Ohio State or even at the FCS level? If he was at Youngstown State, would he still be doing this? And at that time, I mean, I was sold. I thought he was just watching him day in, day out, practice and games. I I thought he was the real deal. And I thought just, you know, getting to know him because um, I wouldn't call us friends, but working with scouts, working with the team, I was around him every day. So, you know, we were on a first name basis and, you know, we, we talked quite a bit, um, you know, every other day or so. And so I, I knew enough about him to know that he had a professional mentality about him. He understood the opportunities that were in front of him. So I, you know, he, I thought had the character that was needed, the work ethic that was needed to uh, be a player. And, you know, he was able to get drafted by the Colts and then, um, you know, played a few spots after that and signed some big contracts. And so I haven't, I haven't talked to Pierre and probably, gosh, it's, I talked to him a few times uh, in the last maybe 10 years. Uh, like I said, we weren't friends, but just, you know, close enough where, um, you know, if I saw him walking down the street, you know, we'd probably uh, stop and talk for uh, 30 minutes and catch up. And then, you know, that'd be it. Maybe bump into each other uh, in, in another decade from now. So a uh, really, really good guy. And it's a really talented player who kind of fell through the cracks. He was from Florida and, you know, just fell through the cracks. And, you know, part of it was of his own doing, but he, you know, he realized the opportunity that he had at Mount Union and he took it and ran with it. All right, so I'm curious. There's this stigma in sports that if you didn't play or you didn't play at a certain level, you're not qualified to say this or know that. And I think it's starting to erode, thankfully, because there are some super smart people who know the game uh, or know you know what whatever game it might be better than you know, frankly, people who played at a really high level, or at least they're better at communicating it. Uh, did you find any challenges from a scouting standpoint, gaining respect, uh, you know, gaining traction as someone who uh, didn't play football, you know, at, at a high level? Yeah, I mean, that's certainly out there. Um, and like you said, I think it's starting to wane a little bit um, just uh, from a credibility standpoint. And then, you know, it's it's funny because I think if you're, you know, we see it, um, you know, in the media all the time with, uh, analysts and things like that. If you're a former player, oh well, you know you have instant credibility. Even though you may have, you, you might have no idea what you're talking about, and being able to explain your point and um, you know uh, really describe what's happening on the field in a way that listeners uh, are going to be able to comprehend and understand what you're saying. So um, it's something that uh, you know is 
and I, I've, I've interviewed with a lot of teams because uh, my goal was always to be with an NFL team, not necessarily be in the media. And I've gone to some interviews where um, they were very skeptical about my background being not, you know, not playing at the college level and not being a professional former player and things like that. Um, and uh, other teams have been more uh, open to it and they, they like that. They think it's refreshing because, you know, it's, it's more of a fresh mind where I wasn't being, I wasn't coached to think a certain way with the game, um, you know, since the time or, you know, in high school and college and things like that, I was a, a little more open-minded at things. Um, and so I wasn't brainwashed to think a certain way. So um, I, I think it goes both ways. Um, and it, it's something that uh, one thing that I've learned above all is just, you have to be open-minded because um, you know, the game is constantly evolving and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something that uh, you know, the, the, Every level doesn't matter. High school, college, NFL. It the game's constantly changing as you're trying to find, uh, you know, vulner, vulnerabilities in your opponent and ways to get better. And so, uh, as long as you're evolving with the game and understanding, uh, you know, where everything's headed, I, you know, I, I think you're in a good spot. You mentioned interviewing with NFL teams. I know that you know we we've talked about this before, and you know whether you'd admit it or not. I know you've had opportunities. Uh, what what has ultimately kept you down the media path, especially since, you know, you, you mentioned a second ago that you, you know, at one point your goal, maybe your foremost goal was to to go the, the, the team route. So what, what's what been the thought process there and why have, have you not? Is, and is that something that you would still maybe consider? Yeah, it, it's been something that um, I, I've been in situations where uh, I turned down um, job opportunities with the team just because the situation wasn't right. Um, and there've been other times where I've interviewed and w- was ready to uh, you know, take the job and run with it. And they didn't offer it to me. And so I was heartbroken about it. So w- for whatever reason, it just, it hasn't worked out. And uh, maybe what, five years ago, the last time I turned down a job was with the chiefs back in 2015. And they, they, I, I went to KC, John Dorsey, Chris Ballard, Ruma scouts interviewed, they went really well. They, they said, we want to hire you and need you to be here by training camp. And this was 2015. And my son, my firstborn was due at the end of July. And it was one of those things where I, I just, I don't, I, 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 I it, it killed me to turn, turn it down the, this opportunity, but I just, I couldn't do that to my wife. I couldn't do that, uproot our life and move to KC the way things were going. It just, it wasn't the right time. And so I turned it down and, um, you know, it was, it was a situation where uh, I have no regrets about it. And, you know, it's just the situation is what it is. And once that I started growing my family, I kind of embraced the media side because I don't have to be on the road 200 days out of the year. Um, you know, I get a chance to do most of my work out of my home office where I'm watching film and working the phone, things like that. And I still have plenty of uh, business trips and road trips going on the road to see these guys in person but not nearly as much if I was working for a team. So because of that and because, uh, you know, I've got a outstanding platform at the athletic where, um, you know, they invest in me and give me the opportunity to really go after my passion every single day. Uh, that's that I've embraced the media side of things. And, you know, I, I have no problem if that's what I do uh, the rest of my life. Now, will I 
I'll always listen, you know, when I, uh, you know, talk with teams and things like that. If the right situation comes up in the future, you know, you never know. I'll never say never, but uh, I'm very, very happy and comfortable with where I'm at right now. All right. You said something. Uh, I read this uh, that I, I love and, and scouting is so subjective and, and you can, you know, some of the brightest minds still miss on some of the, uh, you know, the guys who become the best players. I mean, I, I, you know, people missed, I'm sure, to varying degrees on Patrick Mahomes. And you mentioned Alex Smith over Aaron Rodgers. It just, it, it is so difficult. It, you know, if there was, an, uh, you know, a, a perfect way to do it, then uh, I guess there wouldn't really be as much of a separation between good scouts and bad scouts. But, uh, you know, you said something that I thought was really interesting. You said, if you're going to make a mistake, make your own mistake. Don't make someone else's mistake. And I guess I'm curious if you could elaborate on how that has applied to you and how important of a, a statement that has been to what you do and how you go about it. Yeah. Well, something I learned very quickly in this business is you have to have a thick skin because you're going to make mistakes. There's no way around it. And, um, often, I mean, I find that's the best way I learn is through my mistakes. And so, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like, uh, I mean, I, baseball being my first love, I, I, I make a lot of analogies and comparisons, but you know, uh, if, if a, if a hitter goes up to the plate 10 times and he gets on base, uh, you know, four or even five times out of that 10, he's doing a heck of a job and he might've struck out five times, but you know, it's, it's the batting average that matters. And so I'm extremely proud of my batting average, but there's several strikeouts in, uh, when you look at my full body of work and, but that's uh, the most important part of being an evaluator is being able to self-evaluate and understand, okay, I miss on this guy and that's fine. But what I miss on and is it sometimes as simple as understanding the most important traits at a position. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, you maybe misunderstood what he was asked to do in college. Sometimes it's an injury maybe that you didn't know about. And, and sometimes I've found that I nailed the evaluation uh, in terms of his strengths and his weaknesses, but looking at the situation he's in at the NFL level, maybe he's not being used correctly or you know used the way that at least I interpreted he should be used because of his strengths. And that happens all the time. So it's, it's something that, uh, you know, there's a lot of group think. There's a lot of, uh, especially with social media now, there's a lot of voices out there when it comes to, uh, any subject and NFL draft being one of them. And, uh, you know, so there's a lot of thoughts being put out there about who the best player is at this position and, and this and that. And it's easy to be swayed by other people's opinions, but you can't do that. You have to try and do it in a vacuum and trust your process, trust what, uh, you know, you believe in your eyes and, uh, you know, whatever, you know, how you use analytics as part of it, how you use the tape how you use uh, just what you've heard from uh, guys around the league, things like that. It's just, it's a very interesting process. And uh, if I'm going to miss, I'd rather miss by uh, something I did wrong and not just, you know, believing something that someone else put out there. So it's, it's something that I've definitely adopted over the years and uh, something that is really important to my process. And I think that's a, a valuable life lesson as well like I I know there have been times in my life where I've had a decision and you know maybe my gut's telling me this but then a few people whom I I, I trust and respect maybe they're suggesting that and uh 
you know, I, I guess it's gone both ways for me. Like I think of like a, a big career decision I made in which someone who at the time I really leaned on for support was advising against it. And I went with my gut and it, it worked out really well. But like, I know there are plenty of times in which, you know, perhaps I, I have it. And then I almost feel so I, I not almost, I feel so much worse about it when I didn't go with my own feeling and instead did something that was not as natural to me or organic or, you know, whatever the case is. I just think that like that I could a hundred ten percent see how that applies to scouting. I also think it applies to life. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. And it's, uh, I think that stems from just being afraid to make a mistake. And that's something that I know I've struggled with, um, you know, being judged for my mistakes. And it's something that, I've learned you can't, you have to try not to worry about it because that's how you learn. That's how you grow. And, you know, it's, uh, there's an old Frank Sinatra quote that says, you know, the big lesson in life is never be scared of anyone or anything that that's, that's the big lesson. If you can, if you can adopt that and learn that, then, you know, you're going to feel like you can do anything. And it's, it's not being worried about being judged for my mistakes is something that, uh, once I was able to accept that and I was really able to grow because then, you know what, I'm going to make mistakes and you have to accept that and you own it and you learn from it. And it's, I absolutely think you're right. It's, it's not just in uh, scouting or evaluation. It's true in life. Dane has a, a player or a player's family ever reached out to you to either thank you for your evaluation or harass you for your evaluation of their of their uh son or of themselves oh all the time i mean it uh more so the latter um uh you know it's you're not going to make everybody happy with your rankings with how you feel on players and um you know i i receive a lot of emails from parents um you know on on social media from siblings from uh friends uh, it's just it's part of it and you know i it's it's tough. I have a an internal struggle with it because I'm sometimes I'm saying some not nice things about a player, and it's not personal. But I mean, it's hard if you're you know a family member of this person. It's hard not to take that personally when you're saying that he's maybe not good in this one area, or he can't do this, or you know he's. Uh, has a long shot of making it at the next level. I mean, it's hard not to take things like that personally. And I'm not doing it to necessarily, um, you know, hurt anyone. It's just, uh, it's part of my job. And so it's, it's, it's a really, it's something I struggle with because I'm not, I I don't want to be negative. I don't want to like this guy, this player has been working his entire life to achieve his dreams of making it all the way to the NFL and to, uh, you know, make a career out of it. And here I am just, just destroying it with what I say. Now, it's not that doesn't mean that you know his career is over by any means. The NFL teams aren't drafting a player or not drafting a player based on what I say. So you know that's kind of what I remind. I when I do respond to those messages, that's basically what I say. I say, listen, I'm not drafting for a team. I'm just giving my opinion. Uh, you know, all he has to do is keep doing what he's doing and care about what NFL teams are saying, and that's that. And sometimes. A lot of times, I'd say most times, family members are very uh, understanding of that, and they say, "No, you're right." I mean, it's you know, and sometimes maybe not so much. Other times, you know, I, I do get um, uh, questions from a lot of a lot of parents about, 
hey, should my son play in the senior bowl? Uh, is he going to help himself that much? Is it worth it? Or uh, should he leave or go back for a senior year? Um, and I'll always give my honest opinion about that and say, you know, here, you should also talk to this person, this person, this person, but here's my opinion. This is what I would do. And, um, you know, good luck in your decision. Has there ever been uh, like one of those instances in which they were angry at you and it's like any of them that have like turned into not lifelong relationships but like long-standing relationships or friendships either you know with the, a parent or the player that like you, you turned a bad situation into something that that materialized in that way um i don't nothing that's gone from bad to good like that i mean i i, I try to keep a distance from from players just because i it's you know, just like a, a general manager for a team, you know, they it's okay to interact with players but at the same time. You don't want to get too close because it's, it's a business. And so um, I, I, you know, it's, it's hard to get to know these guys and then also keep personal bias out of it. A guy might just be a tremendous guy. And then when it comes to breaking down his tape, you're just kind of, you know, that, that'll creep into your thought process. So, Honestly, I, I try to keep my distance from a lot of these guys. Um, you know, a lot of them, I, I spend my falls, um, you know, talking to a lot of these guys on the phone, getting to know them, because um, that's, that's such a big part of the evaluation part. That The tape, uh, it only tells you so much. You know, who the guy is as a person and everything like that, That that's everything. And so uh, I spend a lot of time on the phone with these guys uh, throughout the fall and into the spring in the process just to get to know them better. But, you know, it's... It, it's something where I, I don't really look to take the conversation or the, you know, the relationship further beyond that, just because I don't, I don't like it to affect maybe my process with that player and accurately uh, evaluating him on, you know, when maybe I would let that, that relationship creep into my decisions. All right. We have one minute. So some quick hitters here. Uh, is when you talk to these players, you just mentioned those conversations. Is there a question that you always love to, ask and, and hear the response to yeah there's always a few uh you know where do you see yourself in five years um you know who's the best player you've gone against um i, I think one of the most important questions is what's the difference because most of these guys are seniors what's the biggest difference between you as a freshman when you first got there and now as a senior just to understand their growth process where they think they've grown the most i think that's really important biggest miss uh, oh, I mean, it has to be Pat Mahomes because I gave him an early second round grade. Uh, I mean, when you watch my Texas Tech, uh, you know, he was playing backyard football. And so it's just, it was so hard to understand uh, what does he know? What does he not know? And, uh, you know, obviously he's, you know, a generational quarterback and maybe one of the best players that we'll ever see play football. And so that, uh, even though I liked him quite a bit and I was optimistic, uh, that, that's a big miss by me. Biggest hit? Um, probably Antonio Brown loved him out of Central Michigan. Obviously, his career has taken a, a turn for the weird. Uh, but you know, he went in the sixth round, and I I, lo- I, I gave him a second round grade. I loved him. He was the caliber of athlete that he was. Um, thought he was going to be an impact player, and he had a pretty good career. There you go. That's episode 68 of the Justice Set Conversation with the great Dane Brugler of The Athletic, uh, one of the foremost authorities in the NFL world when it comes to covering the draft. 
Uh, special shout out to my man, Zach Rowe, for all his hard work in producing the Justice Sec podcast series. If you know me, you know that I had zero to do with the music and uh, getting all this stuff lined up. I barely could tie my own shoes. So thanks to Zach for all of his help. Uh, thanks to you for tuning in. Again, feel free to share this link with any friends or family or whomever. Uh, just click the subscribe button to check out uh, uh, all the other content pieces and support the channel. It really does go a long way in helping to support this specific project. Until next time, stay safe, be healthy. We'll talk to you later.